Welcome to another special edition of Mindful at Night, the Mindful Meditation Studio podcast, where we record our totally weird and fun variety show. For previous listeners, you know that I always ask our guests, who do you admire in your profession? And I have to say that today's guest is one of the people I personally admire a tremendous amount, Dan Harris. Dan is an anchor for Nightline, co-anchor for Good Morning America, and author of the most excellent meditation book, 10% Happier which then gave birth to an app which happens to be called 10% Happier, and also a podcast called 10% Happier. His new book is Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics, a 10% Happier How-To Guide. He's really doubling down on that. So Dan has perhaps the most well-known come-to-meditation moment, as years of wartime reporting deeply triggered him and led to him abusing cocaine, which then led to him having an on-air panic attack. And this panic attack made him, A, give up the drugs, but B, go deep in pursuit of a spiritual life, ultimately ending up in an insight meditation retreat center. We joked right before we went live for this that 10% Happier is probably a better name for a book than Cocaine Will Give You a Panic Attack. Enjoy. Live from Mindful Studios, you got a meta. It's gonna be the best part of your day Yeah, the stress just melts away It's known to ease your mind and become all kind of others To make a real date Grab a seat, take a beat and feel complete Place your mind on the breath and then feel peace you find your space and let us guide you to a better place This is Mindful at Night with your host, Lodro Rinsler Genius is like, oh, we should, we should invite her um, And... She had this great, I don't even want to call it a bit, because um, I, don't, I think it was off the top of her head, but she started talking about like LA meditation teachers versus New York meditation teachers. And she's like, New York meditation teachers, they're real. You know, they get annoyed on the subway, they're going to tell you. And then LA teachers, they're like, I, everything is bliss and happiness, I've got it figured out, and you could too. And she was really turned off by that. And I feel like maybe starting with that spiritual journey, uh, where you studied with many different teachers and checked out the self-help world and then ended up in the Buddhist camp. How do you deal with those people? Maybe do you still have to interview those people? Like, what is this? You're just like, I, I won't I, do that. I, I'm unshackled. I don't, I, I might want to interview Deepak just to see, I want to interview him on my podcast just to see if he's mad at me. Um, <laughs> just ask. Because I make fun of him a lot in the book. Yeah, um, fair amount. A lot. Uh, it's really fun to make fun of Deepak. Uh, but actually, yeah, I really like him, actually. He's a very nice, Good. he is a very charming fellow. Uh, but I don't spend a lot of time around uh, the charlatans. I don't think he's a charlatan, but I don't spend a lot of time around the true charlatans anymore because they're not really making, happily, they're not making as much noise as they were around the time that The Secret came out. Remember uh-huh, that yeah. huge book? Yeah. Don't read it. Uh, <laughs> it's horrible. I yeah. mean, just absolutely horrible. Uh, because the message is that you can solve all of your problems through the power of positive thinking. Right. Which is just demonstrably false. I, I always ask people to go through the thought experiment. Like, uh, if that's true, what about somebody, all of the babies who are about to be born in a refugee camp? Were they thinking in, incorrectly in utero? Or everybody in Haiti in 2010 when the earthquake hit? Of course, of course not. And if you run that by any of these proponents of the power of positive thinking, they fold like <laughs> cheap lawn chairs. And this is good. You're arming us with good material uh, when we do sit down with these people. You shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, con- conversely, because you fell into like the Buddhist camp, you yeah. started doing stuff with the Insight Meditation Group. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you've also said on numerous occasions. The flip side, I often think of like some people in the self-help world have, are the really great marketers and spiritual people second. And you said, you know, Buddhism just has a branding problem. Yeah. And would you say more about that? Because we should probably figure it out. <laughs> just you and me. <laughs> I, in this moment. I th- it's interesting. So the first guy I discovered was Dr. Mark Epstein because, just, I don't know if you guys know yes, he's phenomenal. He's got a new book out um, that I highly recommend. Yeah, Advice Not Given. Yes. He is uh, a shrink who works in Tribeca, lives and works in Tribeca, and my wife gave me his book, and because uh, she wanted me to shut up about Eckhart <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> and that is that was my introduction to Buddhism, and I, I called Mark up, and we became friends, and I ended up uh, still very 
quite close with him, and um, that introduced me to this whole world of uh, what I call the what not what I call what have a group that's been called the Jew booze. Yeah, uh, mostly sort of aging Jewish New Yorkers who studied in um, India in the '60s and '70s and really were the first people to bring back uh, this particular flavor of Buddhist meditation. Uh, kind of the old school Buddhist meditation known as Theravada and, uh, meditation or insight um, meditation, which is kind of the root of m modern secular mindfulness. So people, names that you probably know, John Kabat-Zinn, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Joseph Goldstein, uh, Mark Epstein, Daniel Goleman, uh, there's this little cabal and they've known each other forever and I, through Mark, became quite quite close on an ongoing basis with a lot of these folks. And yeah, my, I had this entrepreneurial itch, which was I started reading all of their books and I loved the books, but I realized that the me of maybe two years earlier would have thrown them across the room because they're filled with pretty syrupy language. Yeah. And so I was like, all right, just write a version of this with the word fuck. <laughs> yeah, by the way, I yeah. love the fact that um, you're perhaps the only person who swears more than me <laughs> when like talking about meditation. Yeah. Do you ever get criticized for that? Sure. Yeah, fuck those people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just got used to the setup for a bit. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so I want to I want to push you a little harder on this because, in my mind, I've seen this incredible work that you've done around the books and uh, bringing meditation into the mainstream. I really think that uh, you, you yourself would say that you're not a meditation teacher. Correct? Okay. Correct. Um, but you have this giant platform, more so than I would say any of those people actually that you just mentioned. Um, maybe even combined. I would say maybe short of like, when you're like, who do you know in meditation where they're like, I don't know, His Holiness the Dalai Lama, maybe Dan Harris. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how His Holiness would feel about that. Yeah, I don't know either. But, you know, like there, you have this giant platform and you know, there's the old Zen master, Spider-Man, who said, with great power comes great responsibility. So I'm curious, like how, in terms of Buddhism and its branding problem, like how are you talking about it differently? How are you sort of, when you're asked in very public ways to talk about meditation and Buddhism in particular, like how do you shift the narrative away from what people are used to? Um, well, there are two different things in some ways. I mean, I am definitely a Buddhist and I don't hide the ball on that. Um, but I don't, I don't lead with it either. So yeah. mostly what I talk about is meditation is good for you, it's secular, um, it's simple, it doesn't involve a lot of the things people fear it might. And I, I, I travel all over the country talking to people that you wouldn't think would be interested in this, <laughs> and yet they're paying me to come there to, you know, the, to the Midwest, yeah. and uh, you know, all over the, to the South, um, all over the country to talk to major corporations and community groups about meditation. So positioning it as something that is scientifically validated, secular, simple, that really is useful. And then I think adding um, a sense of humor about it, because if you, look, you guys just meditated. If you can't have a sense of humor about what you just witnessed, you're fucked. <laughs> you're fucked. It is crazy. And uh, the only way to surf that is with a smile, because if you're not, I mean, then you're then you're you're not getting the joke, and and I think doing that makes it easier for people, and then also just because I by di the thing that has kind of been a detriment for me in many ways that that I am like a kind of stuffy anchorman wears a tie, blah blah blah. That actually gives the whole thing a, a veneer of normalcy, I think, for people. Maybe some credibility, yeah. Like, he looks like me. He yeah, seems or like, like well put he's together. not, you know. He's, he's not a hippie. He's not a sticky hippie, right. that, that kind of thing. <laughs> no offense to any. Uh, fuck the hippies. Like that you looked around just to make sure. <laughs> As if I was going to. Oh, you, out. sorry, sir. <laughs> uh, yeah, I spelled you when I walked down the aisle. Um, <laughs> the other thing on the Buddhism part, uh, I don't, I don't actually get asked about it that much, but if I do, I, I say, look, when I say I'm a Buddhist, it kind of means more and less than you might think. The less part of it is, is uh, the way I practice Buddhism, it's not a religion. I mean, it, in that there's nothing to believe in. 
there is no God in Buddhism. The Buddha talks about a few metaphysical, he makes a few metaphysical claims around rebirth and karma and enlightenment, but he specifically said, if you don't have to believe in any of this, in fact, you shouldn't believe it until you experience it for yourself. And I, I have not, to my knowledge, been reborn and uh, I'm definitely not enlightened. And so I, I don't <laughs> spend a lot of time worrying about that uh, because there's so much in Buddhism that is so brilliant. And uh, you, you know, the point is to try it for yourself. The greatest expression I've heard about Buddhism is it's, it's not something to believe in, it's something to do. And in that sense, I do Buddhism, just the same way I do journalism and I do being a daddy and all the other things I do. Um, more, the, in, in, it's, it's also more than it may seem in that um, it, it really can be an all-encompassing approach to your existence. And um, I don't think, I'm not afraid of talking about that either. Yeah. Um, it really incentivizes you not to be an asshole. Uh, yeah. And basically you could, you could in some ways whittle down the teaching to don't be a dick. Yeah, you know it's because what, what it does is show you that I talk about this in the in the new book a, a little bit that that you this is giving you drink. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> think about the moment when you hold the door open for somebody. Just what's that like in your mind? It, if you're paying attention, it feels pretty good. Well, that little spritz of dopamine is is infinitely scalable. And similarly, when you're talking shit about somebody even if it's Deepak Chopra, um, <laughs> it doesn't feel that good. And, uh, and so when, the more mindful you become, the more self-aware you are, the more you see that, that um, and this is a sappy word, but kind, these are sappy words, kindness and compassion are genuinely better ways to navigate the world. I like that you think kindness and compassion, like that's as far sappy as you're willing to go. <laughs> I like that. No, that's good. And I think that actually is part of the branding issue, right? It's actually still feels very much in the realm of normalcy and reality, and I'm not going too far off the deep end. Yeah, I'm trying to think about ways, because I want to write my, my next book, I think it's going to be about compassion, and I want to be able to talk about it uh, in a way that doesn't, because when you start talking about kindness and compassion, for me, it feels like an after-school special. I tune out. Um, <laughs> and so there was, I, the, the chapter in my first book about compassion was called the self-interested case for not being a dick. Yeah. And I think that may actually be the title for my next book. That's probably, uh, it's a very good title. Uh, and because that's really what it is. A 10% happier. And I would say, if, <laughs> if you said, yeah, definitely. Uh, but if you ask me what is the what, what is part of the repositioning that I'm trying to do, um, it is about self-interest. I mean, the, one of the Buddha's brilliant, and there are <laughs> countless brilliant insights, uh, is that the, the mind is a pleasure-seeking machine, and if you can, and the, and the brain, the mind and the brain, they're pleasure-seeking machines, so you can hack that. You can show it that actually being, being kind feels better. <laughs> being mindful feels better than being lost in thought. And if you train the mind in that way over time, you are leading yourself toward what? Maybe enlightenment, I don't know. Yeah. Certainly a compounded 10% annual boost in, in happiness. I like that you made it compounded. Um, Definitely. I, I, I'm going to push on you a little bit on this one because it sounds horrible. I'm going to push on you that you're actually you were already into compassion. Um, I have experienced you to be, at the very least, very inquisitive and curious about other human beings. I feel like that's actually a rare trait. Um, you generously invited me on um, to do this like holiday stress segment for Good Morning America, which was all of two and a half minutes long, but it entailed us spending like 12 hours together over three days. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. I had a great time. But like my joy of it was like, oh, everyone should get to like shadow their friend as they go through work, <laughs> right? And just see, like, see how they do their life. Um, because for you, wherever we were, you were like really engaged with people that we were talking to. You were just there. Um, and then I remember we were in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania, and we were chatting in the backseat of this car. It's a long car ride. We pulled over for lunch and you leaned over to the driver and said, hey, you know, we've been chatting way back here. We didn't really even talk to you. Would you come get lunch with us? And that led to the most fascinating lunch about this guy who's been driving for ABC News for 20 years. Oh, yeah, forever. Um, and just like, but that, that sort of level of inquisitiveness and curiosity, I think, is a really a form of compassion. How do you know I wasn't showing up for you? I I, and you, that it would come back to a podcast <laughs> later on. Um, exactly. Um, no, I figured you were. You, you, if nothing 
not, uh, your the guy to ask is this Ben would be Ben over here is the yeah. CEO of Ten Percent Happier, the, which is we're trying to make an empire, and uh, he gets <laughs> to see me. I think in every way. Yeah. So well, because I definitely I don't feel like I'm. Cons- I re- as my friend Sam likes to say, I retain the capacity to be a schmuck. Yeah. Well, who doesn't? I retain yeah. the capacity to be a schmuck, but. Um, I think that sense of like inquisitiveness, like really interest in other people. Have you always had that? Is that meditation? Is that just no, I mean, that's, news I think anchoring? That's journalism. That's journalism. Yeah. 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 Like that is, is that something a learned skill, or do you think it's something that's innate? I think that it is innate and actually can be very annoying. Really? Um, because people sometimes feel like I'm interviewing them in social situations, and it's annoying. So I actually have to watch it a little. Fair bit. enough. Um, yeah. And I don't know. Maybe it's that I don't. Maybe it's maybe it, maybe it's a nervous tick sometimes. But but I think genuinely now as I've gotten older and um, uh, that it is out of an interest. Yeah. But I can it's feel. I, I'm I'm aware of an inner stinginess uh, that I see in myself. That there are times when, especially if I'm around somebody who really seems to need it, I don't want to give. Um, I just I could feel that coming up. I mean, and I think part of I think it's always been there, but I think it's in part is being more mindful, be, having a reasonable amount of meditation under my belt. That I, I really see it. Yeah. So I definitely I don't I would not describe myself as some you know avatar of compassion. Right. Well, I won't describe you either like that. Um, <laughs> to that point, uh, I want to talk about this new book and hear a little bit of the story behind it because essentially for people who are unfamiliar my version would be that dan decided to put together a buddhist frat and <laughs> take them so on the road good. <laughs> so just put them on wheels get them on a bus a co-ed frat. A co-ed frat yeah, yeah. um <laughs> why <laughs> what, what motivated you to do to a to do this book but like b to just do it on the road like this Okay, so I, I wanted to write a book, of how, a how to meditate book. Yeah. But the world is, is filled with how to meditate books. And so uh, we wanted to make it uh, funny and engaging and to give it a narrative. And so we decided, the, the, what's the easiest way to do that is a, a road trip. And uh, it's not that easy practically, but it's easy editorial, yeah. you know, that... I, and I, I'm a, I work in a storytelling business. I, I mean, we, we tell stories. That's what we do. And anytime we can't figure out what the story is, we're like, just do it as a journey. Um, <laughs> so it's, I mean, that's literally what yeah. we'll say around the yeah. office at Nightline, you know, because we, we spend a lot of time at Nightline in particular, where I've worked for many years, uh, talking about, because it's a nightly magazine show. So magazine stories are hard to tell. They, they, usually you want to have a narrative arc in the story and, to do this every night is really hard. And um, so we spend a lot of time talking about how to tell stories. And genuinely, if we can't figure out what the beginning, middle, and end is, we just, oh, just make it a journey. Make it like the reporter's journey through whatever the fuck. Um, so I, it, it was kind of an obvious conceit here, but we layered on top of it some, some embroidery of, of uh, we got a big, dumb orange bus uh, <laughs> that was previously occupied by Parliament Funkadelic and true story and uh, we went across the country 18 states 11 days and the goal so, was it which is an insane pace it is. and uh, as you see during the course of the book it, we almost kill each other as a consequence um, the goal was to meet people who want to meditate but aren't and help them figure out how to get over the hump so we're trying to do three things in the book one is to tell a funny story. Two is to really help. Because my diagnosis of where we are as a culture is that meditation has gone from being weird and nobody gave a shit to actually aspirational, but, but people aren't doing it. So I wanted the book to be about to taxonomize and tackle all of the key obstacles to meditation. And then the third thing I wanted it to do was to teach you how to meditate. I thought it was like a brilliant idea. And then in the middle of writing the book, and I was you know, borderline suicidal. I was like, oh, there's a reason why nobody's done it. <laughs> it it's a lot. A really it's a lot idea. to take on. But it's, it's a lot to take on. It's a good book. Thank you. It really is. I, I enjoyed it a lot. I read it on a beach, and it's a good beach read. Yeah, that, that's um, the goal, actually. Yeah. That is it's like, 
I think when we see Buddhism as a branding issue, it was that and Patra Rinpoche's nature of mind. And <laughs> I've only finished yours. <laughs> so <laughs> those were the two books. Yeah. Um, within it, and also I think in 10% in Happier, and even in like the title of what may be the third book, you talk a little bit about ambition. And that, you know, you admit that you're like an ambitious human being and that's part of it and you don't want meditation to get in the way with it. What do you do when people are like, oh, but that's future thinking, like meditation is just about being present? Uh, well, yeah, it'll be hard to get anything done if you're perpetually present. The good news on that one is... Uh, <laughs> that we're not? <laughs> we're not wired for that. Yeah. Um, and uh, people do worry that, you know, if I meditate, I'm going to be so happy that... That, that is to vastly overestimate your mental capacity. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Which is useful to be in a room full of people who have just meditated. You see how fucking hard it is. It's really hard. And so it's not like you're going to be all of a sudden, you know, so blissed out that you can't function. And if you are, if you are, you've talked yourself into it. You haven't meditated yourself into it. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, the Buddha was really ambitious. The Buddha was very proud of what he produced during his lifetime, which was a body of teaching and a cadre of nuns and monks. He also spent a lot of time hanging around with kings and merchants. And so there's nothing in Buddhism that says um, you can't be ambitious. Um, again, it, there's pretty strong language in there about being an asshole. So you do have to find a way to thread that needle. And I actually think it's a tough needle to thread, but it is doable, and it's actually a great life practice. That's great. Uh, one more for you before we go to the lightning round. Uh, we have a lightning round. You're going to be shit-faced. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking about doing a whole other podcast called Buddhists in Bars get, uh, Drinking Whiskey. Yeah. Well, you know that, that YouTube, My Drunk Kitchen? No, it yeah. sounds wonderful. Yeah, Hannah, Hannah Hart, who's been on my podcast, My Drunk Kitchen, some... Millennials in the crowd. Uh, and so you could do my drunk meditation studio. Yeah, okay. Feels like I think I might already have that. It's a violation of certain precepts. I don't know. Um, no monastic. One more, and then we'll go lightning round. Um, you did an event in Newton, Newton, Massachusetts, outside of Boston. Yes. You're from there. I am. My mother's from there. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Um, and did you date her during high school? I. Sh <laughs> Keep drinking. And um, you had this line, and I, I'm, there's a distinct possibility no one in this room is interested in this but me. In the lightning round, I want you to address me as daddy. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're going to the lightning round. <laughs> All right. Daddy, you've got I five. Never, I will never get invited back. <laughs> daddy, we've got five questions. <laughs> First thought, best thought. Number one, who do you admire most in your profession? Right now, Jake Tapper. Really? I think Jake Tapper is emerging as the Edward R. Murrow of our age. He's somebody I've known for a long time. I, he used to work at ABC and now he's at CNN and I just think he is calling bullshit uh, all the time. He is incredibly smart and he calls bull bullshit on both sides. Um, can I list a few other people or do you want me to just move on? One more. Martha Raddatz. Yeah, okay, great. Ooh, yes, sir. All right, Daddy, two. <laughs> what? What do we not know about the difficulty of what you do? The, it is intensely collaborative, and um, we go through many layers of editorial oversight. <laughs> so it is often a, like a fight to just say what you want to say, because it has to get approved by all these, all these other people. So, and that's not to say that they're censoring you. It's just a very consensus-oriented uh, business. So. Much of my time, like yesterday, I was in Florida uh, covering the kids lobbying at the Florida State House, and I was filing for Good Morning America, then World News Tonight, and then Nightline, and then Good Morning America again. And then much of what you do is negotiate with your peers and your senior producers who are editing what you write, and then it goes to lawyers. So it's that that process is not visible to the public. Yeah, yeah, I imagine that's actually very difficult. All right, three. 
Um, you interview people for a living. Uh, Daddy, how am I doing? <laughs> am I doing okay? Usually they're more sober, but you're doing great. Okay, great. <laughs> Four. Uh, if you weren't doing what you do now, what would you be doing? I'd be studying to be a meditation teacher. Really? Yeah. Why don't you? I'm a little, you don't have time? I'm a little busy, yeah. I'm a little busy. All right, so we'll clear your schedule. Um, <laughs> I'm always worried that my bosses are going to clear my schedule. <laughs> <laughs> I leave out that. Uh, would you tell us a story you would only tell your friends? I told Ben a story on the way here that I, I'm worried may make me look weird, but I take my I have a three-year-old son, and he <laughs> we take baths together. I don't know if that's weird. I don't think that's weird. <laughs> okay, so we take baths together. We listen to music. Well, this is the same album, uh, and. Tonight he decided he wanted to uh, put shampoo on my head, and he looked at me in the face and was like, I'm not going to wash your tushy. <laughs> I like that a lot. I just don't know how it got in his head. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. Like, somebody else proposed? How, how old is he now? He's three. So three, because it could be past life stuff. Yeah, it could be, <laughs> it past, could be a yeah, previous yeah. lifetime, <laughs> just watching people's could tushies be. all the time. All right, we're going to go to trivia. <laughs> So for trivia, um, we have a very special thing planned. Uh, Dan has a long career as a journalist, so we will be starting with news or fake news. <laughs> we will need two volunteers from the audience. Who's feeling brave for our trivia round? There is, there is a prize right here underneath this blanket. and You are participating. You can win this prize. One, two. OK, come on up. We have stools right here for you. And I'm going to arm you all with your cards. There's a couple rounds here. So we're going to start with news and fake news. Thank you. And what is your name? Anna. Anna and? Lizzie. Lizzie. Anna and Lizzie. So very brave. Uh, at any given moment, we are going to go through these questions. You each have news and fake news. Is that correct? No. OK, you're the wrong ones. <laughs> All right, Lizzie's off to a rough start, everybody, but she's going to catch up. Wait, is it Lizzie's off to a rough start? Yeah. <laughs> this is fun. You're, you're always welcome. Uh, we'll, don't call us. We'll call you. So uh, Danny is going to take uh, stock of all of the points. It's two points. If you get this right, zero points if you get them wrong. The first question for our trivia round uh, Good Morning America. Dan is a co-anchor on Good Morning America. It is often abbreviated as GMA. Is that correct? Now, if you look on the popular website, UrbanDictionary.com, GMA can also stand for Grinding My Apples. <laughs> <laughs> grinding My Apples is the popular phrase. F news or fake news? What do we have? News, fake news, and fake news. Fake news takes it. Two points and two points. Well done. Uh, it's actually short for grandma. <laughs> Isn't that sweet? <laughs> GMA is grandma. As in, just chill with my grandma eating her homemade chicken soup. Yeah, two and two. Um, now, Good Morning America has been around since 1974, I believe. And <laughs> well, I'm glad that I didn't answer that. It's actually 1975. Uh, the early news anchor, Sandy Hill, which is a very good name, um, it, the Good Morning America actually got its name because Sandy Hill, back in 1975, showed up very early in the morning, pointed at the camera and said, good morning, America. <laughs> news or fake news? What do we have? News, news, and news. You are all wrong. It's only embarrassing for one of you. <laughs> good Morning America was actually a line from a Steve Goodman song called City of New Orleans. Oh. Uh, which is about him riding the rails and greeting the day by saying, good morning, America. Hey, How are you? Steve Goodman? Steve Goodman. It's not, uh, um, uh, what's, uh, no, uh, something junior. Um. It's okay. Take the hit. <laughs> if you would like to dispute it, you can take it up with the website where I found this news. America. Everyone's favorite, <laughs> everyone's favorite website, pppcorn.com. <laughs> that is a real site. That is where I got this fact. <laughs> Dan's new book rose as high as number nine on Amazon Worldwide. The first time for a meditation book I've ever seen it. News or fake news? What do we have? News? News? News. OK, again, all of you wrong. You should, again, be particularly embarrassed because you're the one. <laughs> when I said, hey, congratulations on reaching number nine, you said, hey, not to brag, but actually, we yeah, hit number two. <laughs> <laughs> 
which is, by the way, phenomenal. Yeah, um, and kind of a dick thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I loved you up with the compassion maybe stuff earlier. That's, maybe that's um, the story I would only tell my friends. Yeah, maybe that's yeah. it. Um, but it is, that is very impressive in some sense, like a Buddhist glass ceiling to hit number two on Amazon worldwide. Now, do you know what was number one at that moment? Of course. Okay. I'm just going to ask you. I'm not going to make it news or fake news. Was it Trump's Fire and Fury? I didn't no, know it was like a crockpot book. Okay, crockpot book. <laughs> <laughs> All right. In 2006, the Harvard University Gazette published a study saying that meditation increases the size of your most important organ, which they defined as the brain. News or fake news? News, fake news, news. News has it. That is correct. I was not just going to keep giving you fake news. Um, in... Yep. In a recent Rolling Stone article, the musician Meatloaf finally revealed what he meant when he said, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. He said, I would not go on a meditation retreat. <laughs> news or fake news? Fake news, fake news. It is correct, fake news, yes. <laughs> what did he mean? He, no, he actually didn't get, he still, he'll go to his grave with that one. He will, yeah. I'm going to try and get out of him on the show. Um, Danny, where do we stand in the rankings? Dan with six points, Anna with four points, and Lizzie with four points. Okay, so Dan is in the lead. Well done. Now, um, since Dan doesn't know much about himself, this next round is going to be particularly challenging for him. <laughs> We're going to the bonus round, which um, I'm going to give you guys new cards. And these cards are a little bit different. Uh, they are actually, I'm going to read you guys a series of quotes. Thank you. Here you go. Here you go. And you had to tell me if this quote is by Dan Harris or His Holiness the Dalai Lama. <laughs> Let's see if Tan can get these right. <laughs> quote number one. Or we may reveal some plagiarism. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> on, on, his <laughs> on his part. On his part. Dan said it first. Quote, happiness is not something ready-made. It comes from your own actions. Dan or His Holiness the Dalai Lama. Dan, Dan. Dan gets for His Holiness. His Holiness the Dalai Lama said that. Very good. <laughs> well done. Well done on your part. Well, thank you for overestimating. <laughs> yes, it's really nice, right? <laughs> Make the present moment your friend rather than your enemy, because many people live habitually as if the present moment were an obstacle that they need to overcome in order to get to the next moment. Dan or His Holiness the Dalai Lama? Dan? Dan? The problem is that's Dan quoting Eckhart Tolle. Oh, okay, no points for anyone. <laughs> Plagiarism doesn't count in this game. It's a game with high integrity. Uh, the next quote is, know the rules well so you can break them effectively. Dan or His Holiness? Dan, Dan. Actually, that's His Holiness the Dalai Lama. <laughs> yeah, oddly enough. Yeah, so zero points to everyone. <laughs> Uh, when you have really of all the things, isn't that, that surprising? <laughs> no, no, no. That you thought that you're going to say it. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, when you have one foot in the future and the other in the past, you piss on the present. Dan or His Holiness <laughs> the Dalai Lama. Dan, Dan. But it's also me quoting Dan. a friend. I okay, <laughs> we'll we'll give everyone those points. That is correct. It was Dan. Meditation is not about feeling a certain way. It's about feeling how you feel. Dan or His Holiness the Dalai Lama? What do we have? His Holiness, Dan. Again, me quoting John Cabot's Zen. <laughs> Dan is actually the correct answer, yeah. Okay. Um, we can live without religion and meditation, but we can't survive without human affection. Dan or His Holiness the Dalai Lama? His Holiness, His Holiness, His Holiness, correct. Points all around. Final quote, if you can't love yourself, how in the hell are you going to love somebody else? <laughs> Dan, Dan. I don't remember saying that. <laughs> That's actually RuPaul. None of you get points. <laughs> okay, what is the final tally? <laughs> Isn't that like Ru Ru's like, catchphrase? It's the signature yeah. catchphrase, yeah. Sorry. No, don't be. I was an English major. <laughs> you know what went Ru... Paul, I was on his podcast recently. And you were on, uh, he was on yours as well. Yes. Yeah. Um, and he was making up dirty versions of my book titles. What, what's your favorite? Uh, Ten Inch Happier. Ah, yeah. How does your wife feel about that one? 
She was sitting next to me while he made the joke. Uh, she thinks he's the funniest like human being. In the I world. think yeah. so as well. We have Dan with 14 points. We have Anna with 10 points and Lizzie with 8 points. Oh. Well, Dan is our clear winner. Anna, Lizzie, you both get a complimentary class at Mindful. Um, so thank you so much for playing our game. Dan, you get this giant prize. <laughs> Sounds like something my three-year-old's like. Yeah, basically. Oh, wow. Yeah. For those of you at home, it's a giant stuffed panda with a Mindful shirt on it. <laughs> Yeah. Three-year-old will like. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> he might even wash his tushy. <laughs> oh, um, Thank you. My absolute pleasure. Thanks for playing the game and being a good sport. So we have just a few minutes for um, questions from the audience. What's on your mind, gang? Yeah. So the question is about people who have children and actually your own meditation practice, how that might actually affect future generations. Is that right? You look so young to have a three-year-old. Yeah. Um. Dan looks very old to have a three-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> the most damning thing I heard recently, I have a very tart friend in D.C., a very close friend, a woman named Regina. I don't get to see her much because she lives in in Washington, and my wife sent her a picture of me and my son sitting on the bed, and she wrote back, so cute, Alexander and his grandfather. <laughs> uh, so you asking as, you know, meditation for you as a parent or meditation for you, at, for the child? Um, more so, like, if more people, if more new parents start to meditate, how do you see that affecting future generations? I think it, it could, uh, look, I don't think it's, the other night I was interviewing uh, a guy who is uh, the principal English language translator for the Dalai Lama. Uh, his name is Thupten Jinpa, really interesting guy. Mm -hmm. And um, he brought up a quote from the Dalai Lama that if every child learned how to meditate, we'd have peace on earth in a generation. And Jinpa said, um, I can't believe the Dalai Lama would say something so naive. Because hmm. I don't think meditation is, is some sort of miracle cure. I do, however, think it is meaningful. And uh, I think if a large number of new parents were meditating, it would have an effect both on the mental health of the parents and on the kid. And parents ask me all the time, how can you... I have parents come to me all the time and say, this meditation thing sounds great, how can I get my kid to do it? Mm -hmm. And my answer is, the bad news is, if first of all, kids will not listen to anything you say. Uh, and so if you want them to do anything, the best long-term strategy is you have to model it. So if you want a mindful kid, you gotta be a mindful parent. And so I don't actually spend any time talking to my son around, about meditation. He knows I meditate, but I think seeing me not so lost uh, that I'm awake and aware when I'm with him I'm not so lost in my own thoughts. I'm not, my nose isn't in a screen all the time. I don't lose my temper as, as much as I might have if we're running a controlled experiment, if we were had like a sliding doors type of situation. <laughs> uh, shout out to Megan Paltrow. Uh, Ma, what's your first name again? Gwyneth. Gwyneth Paltrow? <laughs> so you're going on Goop soon. <laughs> not going on Goop. Uh, well, no, I, I'll go anywhere. Yeah, um, apparently you're here. Yeah, I come to Brooklyn on a Thursday. I think that the version of me that didn't have meditation in his life would be a much more irritable parent, and Alexander would be seeing me lose my temper once in a while. Not all the time, but enough. Um, and I think he's seeing a lot less of that, and I, I would guess that your child is seeing less of that too. And modeling that is very powerful over time. It's funny, I do very few of the things that my parents told me to do. For example, they wouldn't let me watch television. I work in the box now. Um, <laughs> but they were really good. They were, they were and are very religious about exercise, uh, really dedicated to meaningful, uh, uh, for 
professions. They're both physicians, academic physicians. Um, and that, uh, they had good friends in their lives. Um, they have high ethical standards. Those things that they did without really talking much have stayed in my life in a big way. And I, I, I feel like it's healthy. It may not show immediate returns, but I think, I think actually it probably will show some immediate returns, but the long-term returns, long-term returns are where I feel a lot of optimism. I have a friend at the office who I also think she looks really young to have had a kid. I, and sometimes I refer to her as 16 and pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> she really likes the nickname, interestingly, because it makes her feel young. Cool. Next question. <laughs> right in the back, all the way, and then we'll come over to you, John. So the question is, what is your daily practice? A couple of years ago, I decided to get really ambitious, but so almost three years ago, and, um, and upped it to two hours a day. So, so that people often say that number sounds impressive, and then until I give you the, the, the how I do it, which will make it sound less impressive. Uh, I had it in my head that two hours was, was what a serious practitioner does, which by the way, but uh, I just had it in my head, uh, but I couldn't get myself to do, I couldn't even envision a world in which I could get to that. Then Sharon Salzberg, who's a very close friend of mine and, a, uh, and an eminent meditation teacher, mentioned that she knew somebody who had the same idea, and he came up with a thing where he said, I can do as many sits as I want of whatever length I want, wherever I want, throughout the course of the day, and I just aim to build to two hours. And so I tried that, I think, spring of three years ago, and was able to make it work. And, and in part of it's driven by the fact that I'm gonna end up writing about this, you know. Um, but also, I, I started to notice a difference in the um, quality of my meditation practice. Um, and so I've stuck with it. And, I think, you know, I, I, I'm wary of talking about it because I, I don't want to send the message that I, I honestly believe that five minutes, ten minutes, one minute every day or daily-ish is a really good, healthy habit. Um, but I'm now in a position, one that I never foresaw, of being a, a, a very public proponent of meditation. And while I'm not actually a teacher like Lodro, I, I, I want to really know what I'm talking about as much as possible. And um, so that's driving it. And also I think that what's really driving it is, you know, the, the, I often say the animating insight for me as a meditation evangelist is that the mind is trainable. So we're not stuck with the attributes that we, that we have. We're not as patient as we'll ever be, as calm as we'll ever be, as generous as we'll ever be. These aren't factory settings that can't be tinkered with. These are, these are skills that can be trained. And so that's, that's a liberating and empowering radical notion, but it, and it happens to be true. And um, if you can get 10% happier, what's, what's the ceiling? And so for me, two hours a day makes sense on that level if I can make it work, and I've somehow been able to make it work. You're picking the questions this one here. Oh, yeah, we can go right over here. I was wondering if you've done another silence retreat since the first one, and if not, what would be your outlook that is a little more desirable now than before? Do you want to repeat the question? You, are you so so has, has Dan done I, another I silent I, retreat? I yeah, just. You were perfect. I think he was repeating questions just in case people, people didn't hear it yeah. on your podcast listeners. Have you done another silent retreat, Dan? <laughs> if not, why not? You're so effing busy. <laughs> Who are you anyway that you can't make time for a retreat? Okay, now you're good. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, I'm kidding. I love you. Uh, yeah, I totally have. Um, I've done many of various varying lengths. Um, I did one in December, December of 10 days. Um, and it was interesting, I was having a, my teacher, the guy who's become my personal teacher after I wrote my first book was, he was a character in my first book, and then after the book. <laughs> he was a teacher before that. <laughs> he was a teacher for a long time. This is, is Joseph Goldstein, who is 
he's, I've heard him semi-facetiously referred to as the Pope of American Buddhism. And, you know, he's, <laughs> he's really kind of a big deal in the, in the American Buddhist scene. And he's this 70-year-old Jewish guy from the Catskills who I find absolutely hilarious and incredibly smart. And the closest I've ever met to somebody who appears to be on the spectrum of enlightenment. And uh, so I was sitting up at, uh, I was sitting at a retreat with him in Massachusetts in December, and toward the end, I was asking him, you know, what can I do to be a better student? He was like, you gotta do more retreats. And, because I was on a pace of one every two years, and he was like, at minimum, you should be doing once a year. And again, this is for somebody who's a dedicated student, you know, really, really trying to make this a huge part of my life. It's kind of a side career, too. So I'm not saying you're a failure as a meditation if you're not doing a meditation retreat every year. This was just what he was setting the bar for me at. Um, so yeah, I, I really do plan on doing, he actually wanted me to do two a year. Uh, I don't think I can swing that. Um, but I think one 10 day retreat a year makes a lot of sense. And um, you know, the first time I wrote about it in my first book and I described it as this totally torturous thing, although then it becomes amazing. And then it becomes torturous again. Um, and that's, that's accurate. It really is accurate. I would say that was the cycle I was on in my last retreat. Um, I very much rebel against my mind. Hates, I feel it's infantilizing in some ways. Like, I know all the people working at the retreat center get to go out and have a regular dinner at night and they could talk. And I feel like I was, when I was a little kid at summer camp and my counselors could go have fribbles at night or whatever, you know, and I was stuck in a bunk with smelly eight-year-olds. and. So uh, I, I go through a lot of when the hell is this going to end, blah, blah, blah. But the whole thing in meditation on a retreat, but in any meditation, is if you're lost in thought, you're suffering. As soon as you pop out of that and say, oh, this is just a thought. This is just desire or doubt or restlessness. The suffering goes away. It'll come back in a nanosecond. But you can that move is always there for you. Inexhaustible. <laughs> and... You learn that in a big way on retreat, and you learn it, it gets pounded into your neurons in a way that I think is unique because it's such a high dosage, uh, a quantity, uh, and actually, as it happens usually, quality too of meditation. In that, the, the level of mental, mental chatter can go way down. Um, yeah, so I, 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 uh, I'm a big believer in retreats for me personally, but I don't think just to say to the group. I don't think if you're not doing retreats that you're uh, screwing up as a meditator or a failed meditator in any way. I think they're an option you might want to investigate, but by no means um, uh, mandatory. You know, at this point, I, I lead an annual retreat in every March at this place, Shambhal Mountain Center in Colorado. And I actually have taken to reading the chapter that you wrote of your retreat experience day by day alongside everyone else's <laughs> retreat experience. Because it's fine for me to be like, hey, at this point you might be having a hard time. And it's much funnier to be like, here's what Dan says. And Dan's like, I'm bowing at the Buddha, but only for the hamstring stretch. You know, like, <laughs> it's just a better, it's like, oh, this guy's in it with me. So you're, you're essentially on retreat with us every time. So That's I appreciate funny. that. People, find, people love it. That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, one more, we'll go over here. You worked at ABC in New York? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For five months. Okay. Yeah. Was it, just by the way, just in case you think I'm an irretrievable asshole that I worked with her, she worked in a unit that was actually kind of its own uh, <laughs> world. You yeah. can't save yourself. A We've we got your number tonight. <laughs> we, could talk, we should talk about this afterwards. Uh, so anyway, you worked at... Like feeling pressured afterwards, 
showing that? Or is it like can it not being able to hide it? So is the question around as a meditator, like yeah, how do you actually show frustration and the pressure that you're under? Or do you feel pressure once everybody knows you're a meditator to never never actually that show that? Yeah. yeah. Kind or at least not show it. Too, yeah. But like you're already so out there, so like I don't think <laughs> Did I, did I, have I demonstrated that tonight? Uh, You've been a model guest. <laughs> so, that's a great question. Yeah. And so, often when I say, because people love to call me out when I'm having a bad hair day, they love it, it's super satisfying. Um, and I say 10% buys me a lot of leeway to continue being a schmuck. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not, I, I'm not advertising um, you know, bulletproof imperturbability. I'm, I'm just not. And, but, and yet, I still feel it. I still do feel when, yesterday I, I, I kind of snapped at somebody. No, this morning. I was doing, I, I, uh, I haven't had a lot of sleep for the last couple of days because I've been covering this story. And I was in a very bad mood this morning. And they were making me redo something on camera. And the guy who was making me do it was also talking on the phone while he was making me redo it. And I was like, I can't redo this if you're talking, which is a little sharper than I want to be. Uh, it wasn't like the end of the world. The old me probably would have been much meaner, but it felt bad. And I also was, it felt bad because it feels bad because I know the intention was to be mean. I knew that it was the intention was to be. So it felt bad all around. But then there was that layer that you're referring to of, well, I'm a meditation guy. I should be doing this type of shit. Um, so, Look, I think the move is always the same. It's like to be mindful of it. Um, and, and, uh, and I think there's a delight actually in seeing it. I mean, one of the under-emphasized goodies of this practice is it actually feels good to, to see anything, to see it clearly, even if it's really embarrassing. It feels good to see it. Um, and uh, then from there, you can make some much wiser decisions. Um, but I understand the pressure. I do understand the pressure very, very much. And um, but I, I, would, I would develop a little mantra. It's not something you say out loud to people, like what I've done of, you know, the 10% buys me a lot of leeway. Because you want to have a nice little pushback in those moments for when your friends are gloating that you're <laughs> lost your composure. But it definitely happens to me. I'll, 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 not, my TV agent is a total like schmucky agent, and uh, he's constantly losing his shit. Um, but anytime, because he has to deal with me on like my contract negotiations and so really sensitive stuff, and he just loves when I get in a bad mood. Just loves, <laughs> loves it. So I just always use that line with him, and because he has no memory, it always makes him laugh. Every time. <laughs> That's wonderful. So, Dan, thank you so much for, for doing this. Thank and you for you're not as much a schmuck as you think you are. Um, I actually, I'm glad that out of anyone who's emerging with this giant platform to actually talk about meditation, it's you. Thank because you. you are so thoughtful about how you do it and how you present it. And I, I think uh, Buddhism's not going to have so much of a, of a branding issue with you at the helm. If you enjoyed this podcast, Please remember to subscribe, review it, and share it with friends on the Facebooking, the Instagrams, and so on. We, we're a brand new podcast, so any love you can actually share for it is much, much appreciated. See you next time on The Meditation Cushion.